Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. of Jacob uh, absolutely intrigues me. How many of you are intrigued by the lives of the patriarchs in the Old Testament and um, how absolutely messed up they were and how God seemed to do something anyway? Anybody encouraged by that besides me? I know I am. I've uh, been touched with a little of the uh, Jacob anointing before. But there are a couple of things that Jacob said um, that I want us to look at because he had some of the most remarkable encounters with God. And then he did, um, he had tremendous blessing. He was at one point incredibly wealthy, and um, but his life probably resembled more of a roller coaster uh, than anything else. How many of you can relate to the ups and downs of being a believer? Anyone in here relate to that? Yeah, they didn't tell us what we were getting into, did they? But the problem was we were going to get into it without Jesus, and now at least we're into it with Jesus, and that's a lot, lot better. But at a given point, I want want to talk about, mention two things Jacob said that are in such contrast to each other, and maybe see how he got through the things that, that he got through in his life. And so one of them is, It's not an overhead, and one of them is, but one of them is in Genesis 42, verse 36. And it says this. One part of Jacob's life, complete with tragedy, difficulty, loss, and disappointment. And Jacob, their father, said to them, so he was speaking to his children, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. And then this is his conclusion. All these things are against me. Let's let's say that for a second to focus on where we are. All these things are against me. Yes, there were people there earlier, Lord. (laughs) Together, means together. Let's say this together. (laughs) Or I'll say it by myself. I'm happy with that. (laughs) All these things are against me. Who's ever felt that way? Come on. I think I came to the wrong place. Am I the wrong place? (laughs) All these things are against me. That's how Jacob summed up his life at one point. Two chapters later, he would say, after some most amazing things happened, almost beyond belief, he would say this, it is enough. 
Joseph, my son, is still alive. But those three words, it is enough, actually means about God's goodness and everything he can do in a life, I am absolutely convinced. Or you could say it um, this way. What God has done is way the heck and gone beyond anything I could have ever imagined he could do. Now, those are the two great opposite conclusions that Jacob had made at times in his life, and there are reasons for that. Um, one of the things we need to recognize is that we need to be honest with what goes on in our lives, don't we? We can't, we can't not do that. But, um, and, and some of what I'm going to share, I am almost convinced I've done this here already. So if you've already heard this, you, you must not have been paying attention. <laughs> See, that's my way out of using the same message twice in a row. But there's some of the things here I want to talk about that I think are so essential. We need to hear them over and over and over again. But a number of years I had an encounter with the Lord. And I really do describe it in detail in this book, Harbinger of Hope. And in that experience, I was caught up into the heavens. And I was aware and I realized and the Lord revealed to me what looked like Five ancient wagons. And these wagons, each, each one of them had um, different substance of blessing in them. Um, and I thought, that's, that's pretty peculiar. Why would these blessings, why would this be revealed and contained in ancient wagons? Well, I believe there's sort of prophetic understanding, first of all, um, the goodness of God and the reality of the gospel is, are ancient realities. They didn't just start last week. And the idea of them being in wagons, the wagons are pulled by the tongue and they have spoked wheels, or you could say the wheels are spoken. And so the revelatory idea was that these five um, deposits of blessing can be accessed by faith and proclamation, the tongue. Uh, in other words, you pull the wagon by the tongue and it's on these wheels. And so the thing I saw was, a, one of them was a wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. I want that to settle with you. A wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. One of them was a wagon of deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit. One of them was a wagon of provision. One of them was a wagon of hope. And one of them was a wagon of a new vision for the United States. And so I've written about that encounter. And there's a certain amount of teaching in there about each one of those um, different wagons. And then the Lord showed me uh, that... I would understand a deeper significance of the wagons if I would study the story of Joseph's restoration to his brothers and to his father, Jacob. So how many of you are tracking with me so far? I know I'm throwing, I'm throwing a lot out here, out here at you, and I can imagine some of you may not be um, entirely comfortable with supernatural encounters 
How many of you have had a supernatural encounter before? Yeah, yeah. And the Bible's, of course, you know, full of them. You ever seen those, uh, 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 those creatures over in the book of Ezekiel? Wouldn't that just scare the dickens out of you if they came to church one Sunday? But uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of supernatural stuff about the Lord, right? That's a good thing to say. And so when I look at the story of Joseph, we need to track a little bit here to understand what was going on. Um, Jacob's favorite son at one point in his life was Joseph, gave him a coat of many colors. And Joseph had, I think, what we could call a spiritual gift, which was, um, turned out he was a tremendous administrator, but he was also uh, able to interpret dreams. And he was a dreamer himself. Absolutely. Actually, his brothers would call him that in, in sort of a derogatory way. But Joseph had a couple of dreams. And in these dreams, he was going to rule over his entire family. Now, uh, he told him this when he was 17, and it didn't sit very well with his brother, not even with his, with his father. And so it created a tension between Joseph and the rest of his brothers. They became very jealous. And his dad had a habit of sending Joseph to go check on his brothers, and Joseph would come back and tell on them. Anybody knows a tattletale is not usually the most important member, of the most uh, popular member of the family. And so um, Joseph did that one time too many, and he went out to find his brothers. And when his brothers found him, they decided, uh, why don't we kill him? Why don't we kill him? That's a good idea. Would you kill him? These are, these are the 12 tribes of Israel, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about our great historic patriarchs here. Does that give you some pause? I think uh, it, it probably should. And um, If I try to be humorous this morning, please refrain from enjoying it. <laughs> I, would, I would hate for that to happen. But anyway, they... They're going to kill him. Then they decide not to kill him. So uh, let's cut him some slack. We'll sell him into slavery. So that's what they do. They sell him to some, I believe it was Ishmaelite traders. And he in turn uh, sells him to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So he was a very influential, powerful man of authority. And as Joseph grew in Potiphar's house, Potiphar set him over everything he had. And that was something that would happen to Joseph repeatedly, was that he would be favored. He would do well. Actually, those around him would be benefited by him. So at one point, Potiphar's wife makes an immoral advance to Joseph. Joseph refuses her, so she accuses him of assault, Potiphar puts him in prison. Well, in prison, Joseph is favored there. The keeper of the prison gives him authority over all the other prisoners. So, at another point, Pharaoh imprisons his baker and his butler. They both have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. And exactly as he interpreted them, the butler was restored to his position, but the baker was executed for treason. So... Quite an adventure. One of the things you're going to have to recognize is that Joseph went through 
22 years of this. 22 years. Joseph went through a period of time between the time he was sold and his father thought he was dead and the time his brothers realized who he was in Egypt. Now, that's a long time. That's a long time. But I think um, the more significant the calling God has on your life, the more significant the challenges are going to be to get there. How many of you can hear that? That's not really good news, but it's just the truth, right? But it can give meaning to this madness. Everybody good with that? It can give meaning. Yeah. So a couple of years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and the butler hears of the dream. And Pharaoh's dream was about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, but he didn't understand it. So the butler tells Pharaoh that Joseph has this ability to interpret dreams. They bring Joseph out of prison. They shave him bald according to custom. He changes his clothes. Actually, every time Joseph advanced, it cost him his clothes. You remember the coat of many colors? What happened to the coat of many colors when he was sold into slavery? They stripped him. But you'll see that over and over and over again. And that's the picture of the transformations we all have to go through to get to the next place. There's an old phrase, what got me here won't get me there. Do you understand what I'm saying? We really do have to adjust our lives. We really do have to pay attention to what the Lord wants to do in our hearts. We can't have, um, we can't allow old bitterness and old anxiety and old hostilities to stay. How many of you want to get rid of some of those? Man, this has been just such a tremendous season to be bitter, right? But no, what happens is it's a tremendous season to let God deal with our hearts. We need to open our hearts and say, Lord, take a look. What needs to stay and what needs to go? So, um, Joseph interprets a dream and he says there are going to be seven fruitful years followed by seven years of famine. And what you should do is choose a wise administrator to oversee the harvest. And so Pharaoh chooses Joseph. And so Joseph becomes the second greatest man in Egypt. And so they go through the seven years of plenty. And then after the second year of the famine, Jacob's family, all his kinfolk back home, who he has not been in communication with for 22 years, they're at the brink of starvation. So Jacob sends his son to Egypt to get food, and they did not realize that their brother had been gone all these years, was not only not dead, he was alive, and he was in charge of everything. So who's Joseph a picture of this morning? I believe he's a picture of Jesus. You know, theologians say that Joseph had more similarities to Christ Jesus than any other Bible character. And one of the things I've thought about in the church, there's so many Christians who act as though Jesus is not alive. Let me say that a different way. There's so many Christians who act as though Jesus is not alive. Or you could say it this way. There's so many Christians who act as though Jesus is not alive. 
So Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They're reconciled. And he sends them back to Jacob with the word that he's alive and that he's Lord of all Egypt, except, of course, for Pharaoh. And he sends back 10 donkeys loaded with provisions and wagons. Somebody say wagons, please. Wagons. wagons. Turn to somebody say wagons. Say W-A-G-O-N-S. No, see, you cheated them. W, I'm just messing with you. Wagons. What were the wagons supposed to do? The wagons were supposed to take Jacob's entire family back to a place of unbelievable benefit, welfare, and provision. Praise the Lord. I really like this. Okay, so that brings us to Genesis chapter 45. And I think I do have this verse. See if you can put it up. Let me see what that looks like from here. That's pretty good. Here we go. What's the first verse they have? Is that 25 or 26? I'll start with 25. Then they went up out of Egypt, Jacob's sons. And they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, verse 26. And they told him, saying, we have to listen closely to this. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And he is a governor over all the land of Egypt. Think about being Jacob at that moment. For 22 years, your favorite son's dead. You're heartbroken. Your own proclamation about how you feel is you'll never get better. So they told him, Joseph is still alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And here was Jacob's response. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Jacob's heart... Jacob maybe had a heart attack. Anyway, your heart standing still is probably not a good thing. Why did his heart stand still? Because he did not believe. See, sometimes good news can be so shockingly good that it registers in us as unbelief. Have you ever heard something so wonderful you couldn't believe it? That really should be the way the gospel affects us. Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him what? All the words which Joseph had said to them. Think about Joseph as a type of Jesus. And when he saw the wagons... Now, the Lord had told me there was a connection between my subjective encounter and the story of the restoration of Joseph and Jacob. When he believed the words and saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, what happened to Jacob? 
the spirit of Jacob, their father, the spirit of Jacob, their father, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And see, one of the things I believe is that knowing God wants to deliver us from what we deserve. Knowing he wants to release us from having been criticized and being critical, and those go hand in hand. Knowing that there's provision beyond our need, knowing that having hope enables us to overcome in every circumstance and it breeds a level of faith that we could only sometimes dream of, and knowing that he has a purpose and plan for the United States beyond what we currently see, all of that could cause a person's heart to revive. And so that's what we see here. When he saw the wagons, when he saw the provision, when he saw, uh, it says, 10 donkeys earlier in the story loaded down with all the best of Egypt. And here, believe it or not, Egypt becomes momentarily a type of heaven, a type of the reality of the kingdom. Joseph, a type of the reality of Christ Jesus. The one that they thought was dead, he's not even not dead. He doesn't even have his cold. He's not even, he, no, he's not even only alive. He's in charge. Verse 28, then Israel said, oh, where did he come from? Thought we we're talking about Jacob. Then Israel said, who? Israel. Who is Israel? Israel is who Jacob had always been called to be and the real person God had put inside of him that had not yet truly emerged. Are you listening? So it's Jacob this and Jacob that and Jacob the other heartbroken Jacob, Jacob with bad kids, Jacob with terrible whatever. But at a given point when he realizes the one he had set his affection on was not only not dead, but in charge of all, and not only in charge of all, but was devoted to doing everything he could for Jacob to take care of him, make him everything God called him to be, release unbelievable future for him and his entire family. Actually, if you want to go this far, preserve the messianic lineage. Jacob, by faith in seeing the reality of who Joseph was and that he was not dead but alive, became Israel, and Israel said, it is enough. Or Israel said, this is more than I could ever imagine. Or Israel said, I am absolutely now convinced. I will go and see him before I die. That's a little bit of preaching. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's page 208. <laughs> but I'm watching the clock. And some of you are saying, don't worry about that. 
and others are saying, pay close attention to that clock, preacher. <laughs> so, the first time the word revive ever appears in the Bible, it appears right here. What is revival? Believe in the gospel. Maybe it's easier than we think. Jacob became Israel in a moment in time. What you believe can make that much difference that quickly. You can become somebody else based on what you believe, who you believe, what you trust, who you trust. You can become something else. You can, come, you can, you can, you can wake up, awake church, you can wake up to who you are. Jacob's heart stood still. It's, it's interesting that what you believe can affect your body, your soul, and your spirit. And here's something I have wrestled with, but it's true. Was, was Jacob heartbroken because Joseph was dead? Yes or no? No. He was heartbroken because he thought he was dead. Let me, let me say some of that again. Was Jacob heartbroken because Joseph was dead? No. 22 years, he thought he was dead. He was alive. But for all intents and purposes in Jacob's life, he suffered unnecessarily because of what he thought. Anybody in here named Angela? Is there an Angela in here anywhere? There's an Angela? Well, I was praying for the church and the name Angela came to me and the Lord was had something to say about a house. Do you need a house? You do? Well, I think the Lord wants to give you a house. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not responsible for making that happen. I'm just... <laughs> but I felt like the Lord just gave me those two words, Angela and house. And so I don't think he wants to burn down your house. I think he wants to do something for you about a house. Now, I don't know the... Is that good news? Yes, would you like to stand up and praise the Lord momentarily? Would that work? Praise Jesus, y'all. Well, I don't know how all that works, but I'm glad there was somewhere here named Angela. <laughs> Is there a Meredith? Is there a Meredith here? Meredith? Or you went to Meredith College back in the... 70s? Don't hold out on me now. I'm on a roll. <laughs> well, there goes the faith level. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> Online? 
you should have come. <laughs> Isn't that awful? <laughs> okay, if there is a person online named Meredith, the Lord wants to move in your family in ways beyond your ability to believe him for right now. And if anyone would like to be named Meredith, I think we would just... <laughs> or maybe it's a middle name. I mean, this, this is not brain surgery. This is the artistic, practical functioning of prophetic. Anyway. Or I missed it. That could happen. All of that could be true. But what you believe affects all of your, your, your entire being. And that to me is a remarkable thing. Joseph was alive, but because Jacob believed he was dead, he suffered to the same degree that he would have suffered if that were true. So what does that tell us? It tells us that our problems are not necessarily entirely experiential, but the way we think. Because while Jacob, oh my goodness, while Jacob was saying all these things are against me, the reality was that all those things were working for him. And see, that's the difference in an unbeliever and a believer. Now, Jacob didn't know any better, right? He just believed the report and he couldn't disprove it. So we, we can understand that. But I think this is the place so many people are in. You, you have God, you have what he's like, you have his intent, you have his plan for you, and you can look at your life, disregard that, all these things are against me, or you can look at your life and realize all these things are working for me. And the best aspect of being benefited is when you would tend to think everything's against you when you could actually be believing, no, that's just the way it looks, but that's not the way it is. Romans 8, 28. For we know, do we? That all things work together for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Do we know that? Are we convinced? We're really not. I'm not always. Come on, give me a break. I'm, I'm processing. But the reality of, of spiritual maturity is you believe it when it doesn't look so. That's what faith really is. Who needs faith when you don't need faith? So one of the things we deal with is hopelessness. And I've, I've got 
a chapter in my book here on, on this. And um, yeah, I, I've got to, I've got some time here. This, this is so important. Um, hopelessness is a delusion. Now, I'm going to say that a little bit different way. You might have trouble keeping up. Hopelessness is a delusion. Or you could say it this way. <laughs> it's a delusion. It's the consequence of an inaccurate belief system. Now, I'm not saying there can't be medical or body chemistry things connected to some of those emotions. You with me? But by and large, hopelessness is a delusion. It's a consequence of an inaccurate belief system. How do you know when you're believing the wrong thing? You're depressed. And in our generation, this is an enormous enemy, but it's an imposter. Somebody say the word imposter. It's an imposter. And imposters impose themselves. And we have allowed um, wrong thinking, wrong believing to try to impose itself on us and, and convince us of its truth. But Jesus said this, and I think we should side with Jesus here. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One place set you free, one place, place make you free. I'm quoting John 8, 32. So truth is transformational. It has the power. There's something inside those words that when we really believe them, something is released. A friend of mine used to talk about it this way, and I thought it was an interesting analogy. The truth is like jello. The word is like jello. When you put jello in your mouth, a warm, believing, devotional heart or the warmth of your mouth releases it into a different substance. And, and so the truth is potent. It's transformational. It can change us. But lies do the same thing to a detrimental effect. And so you have to ask yourself from questions, how do you know that your perception of reality is inaccurate? You're not happy. Well, God just doesn't want to make everybody happy. Well, sure he does. Why wouldn't he? For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
Well, sometimes we have to deal with being unhappy to get to where we are happy because a lot of times it's based on what we believe. Believe about ourselves, believe about others. There's so many um, aspects to this I can't cover, but um, how do you know that what you believe is not true? It doesn't set you free. That's a simplistic look at it, but it's a truthful look at it. Does it cover everything? Every, all? No, nothing does. But they're processes. Are you with me? You process. Um, but Paul said this. He identified the relationship between what you believe and how it affects you. He said, now. Somebody help me with that word, now. Yeah. Now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Now, when, when, when is this available? Now. now. He's not saying finally. He's saying now. May the God, which God? The God of hope fill you, fill you, fill you with what? Remorse, Shame, humiliation, anger, bitterness, resentment, fear. No, fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. Can you see that? In believing. Why? So that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what we have to face. Accurate believing produces joy and peace and an abundance of hope. I'm just using logic here. Is that okay? I'm just trying to draw conclusions that should honestly be drawn from what I just read and what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I need to hear this after 55 years of being a Christian. We need to eat every day. Well, maybe not every day, but we need to eat. We need to believe Sometimes yesterday's believing doesn't take care of today's um, um, challenges. This is a lifestyle. This is something we do daily. Um, uh, there's things I believed 50 years ago that took root and they continue today. But you understand what I'm saying. This is a relationship. And that there's a relationship between accurate belief and what it produces. But here's the problem. Acknowledging the truth is not sufficient to bring freedom. It's the truth you believe. What are you convinced of? Here's the thing. You're convinced of something even if you're convinced that you're not convinced of anything. And see, when Jacob heard from Joseph, saw the wagons, called himself Israel... It was because he said, it is enough. He was really saying, seeing all this absolutely convinces me that the one that I thought was dead is alive and in charge. Look what he brought. Look what he sent. We're about to die. And here, 10 donkeys in all these wagons. Provision. Gosh, think about that. You're going to die today and tomorrow. You're immeasurably wealthy. 
Well, that's a picture of the believer. If you read the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, having been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, that's in heaven, in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus, so that's in us. But we don't see it. We don't access it because we're not convinced and we're not willing to go through the processes sometimes it takes to prove that God really does know what he's up to. He gets a lot of bad press. But the truth you believe is the truth that liberates you. You may have the facts straight, but still be bound because you misunderstand the implications of those facts. Jesus said, take heed how you hear. So you, 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 could, you could look at these two, two people looking at the same circumstance. One guy says, everything is against me. And the other guy says, praise the Lord, all these things are working for my good. They're looking at the same thing. That doesn't determine your victory. This does or that does determine your downfall. Facts can be the same. Situations the same. Attitude, idea, revelation, or lack thereof will turn the table. Take heed how you hear. And there's like this Leviathan spirit thing. I don't get into all that. But there's this word twisting thing where, where someone says something nice to you and you hear criticism or judgment. It's because you heard wrong. They didn't speak wrong. You heard wrong. Jeremiah. Do I have time? Yes. Jeremiah. I want to talk about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. How many would you... Unbelievable. Walk close to the Lord. One of his spokesmen in his generation to the nation of Israel and others. But we can see from what he says, he was prone to periods of hopelessness and depression. Well, that encourages me in a sense that if someone that close to the Lord would have to deal with some of that, I shouldn't be ashamed or you shouldn't be ashamed that you may have to at some point too, right? And some of the greats would have some of those challenges. So in Jeremiah 15 and verse 18, he's complaining. How many of you ever complained to the Lord? Yeah, poor second row over there. All of them people have been complaining, I think. <laughs> so I'm reading this out of the, the Amplified Translation. Jeremiah says in verse 18 of chapter 15, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable refusing to be healed? Who's ever felt that way? I've felt that way. I've got back problems right now. I believe in healing. Does that make any sense? No, not really. And it's, it's a little serious. I told the Lord one time, if you don't heal my back, I'm never going to talk about healing again. And I was lying. I still talk about it. I still pray for people. He knew I didn't mean it. I was just confused. But he says, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable refusing to be healed? Then he says to the Lord, will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain? Can't trust you, Lord. 
You're like a brook that dries up when I need you. You're like waters that fail, uncertain, undependable. So the Lord says to him, next verse, verse 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, If you return and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, if you return, here's how you come back to me, Jeremiah, in this situation. Give up your mistaken, you're mistaken. How? You have a mistaken tone of distrust and despair. He says, if you'll do that, I will then give you a settled place of quiet and safety and you should be my minister. So the Lord's saying, I don't want hopeless people ministering on my behalf. He said that to Jeremiah. And if you separate the precious from the vile, how many of you would like for me to separate the precious from the vile this morning in your life? You ready? Cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning my faithfulness, you should be my mouthpiece. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? David said this, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I think it's time for a new level of faith. How many of you would agree? It is. It's available. It is. It's available. Because David had a deep conviction that really God is good and a deep conviction that he would experience God's goodness in this life, not just the one to come. And here's one of the things I've discovered. Circumstantial deliverance is often preceded by an internal emotional deliverance based on a change of beliefs. What am I saying? Sometimes for your circumstance to change, your belief has to change. See, that's what the Lord says to Jeremiah. If you give up this mistaken tone of mistrust and despair, I'll give you that safe place. You'll be my mouthpiece. And if you cleanse your heart from unworthy, 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 unworthy suspicions concerning my faithfulness, you should be my minister. Mistaken tone of unbelief. There's a verse, I could go on here, but Another part of Jeremiah 17, he says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Whose heart does what? Departs. When we trust anything other than the Lord, there's a departure that we don't maybe recognize. But the result is he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Shall not see when good comes. Here's what happens. When our focus shifts away from God onto circumstance and we trust any and everything maybe except Him or besides Him, He sends good, but we don't see it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not see good when it comes. didn't say good wouldn't come, but we have to be of a mind to recognize what God's doing. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So we've looked at Jeremiah 15 when he goes through that process with the Lord. Then we see in Jeremiah 17 the significance of trusting God. And then Jeremiah 29, he says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. Let me leave you with a verse. Man, I am so close to 1130. Matt's going to be proud. <laughs> Do we have Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 up there on the screen? Can you see it? Now, I'm going to ask you to do this together. We're going to say this out loud, and that means... Words come out of your mouth. Okay. Verse 20, are you ready? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That settles it. Or amen. Let's do that again. Everybody ready? Why don't you stand up this time? Now. Stop right there. Now, to him who is able, to do, abundantly, no, abundantly above, no, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. According to the power, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks, thank you so much for your kind attention. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.